0: You're listening to Sascapes, a podcast featuring the stories of arts, culture, and heritage in Saskatchewan. No more fitting a title could there be for this episode. I'm Kevin Power, and words can't convey how excited I was when I first made contact with my guest, Gladys McCarthy. I was fascinated by her story and her entrepreneurial savvy. Gladys is a chocolatier, and for the past thirty years she has been perfecting the art of handmade chocolates— Her company, Glad's Chocolates, has earned a reputation throughout Saskatchewan, and the word-of-mouth advertising alone is a testament to the quality of her work. And there is so much more to Gladys, as you'll see. I joined her on her farm, which has a wonderful history of its own. You'll hear the sounds of birds chirping and the sounds of my taste buds dancing as I get a tour of the studio where Glad's Chocolates are created." "'And speaking of dancing, wait till you hear what happens in the red barn.' "'And before I said good-bye, Gladys had one more surprise to show me. "'In another barn, Gladys had her father's original snow-plane. "'I'd never seen anything like it. "'With a giant propeller at one end and a small enclosed seating area "'and two very large skis, it looked like a sort of time-machine.' And when she was little, Glad's dad would often drive, or should I say fly, her to school on snow days. I feel so lucky to have met Gladys McCarthy, and I'm very happy to bring you a podcast of our time together. So I'm here with Gladys McCarthy, and I'm sitting on a lovely farm. How many acres is this? Um,
1: there's a section here. This is a section? Yeah.
0: Okay. This is the RM of? Oakdale. Oh, yeah. Of Oakdale, mm-hmm. right, okay, and it's a beautiful day, we're sitting outside, I've met the dog Max, and uh, how long have you been out here? You mentioned that you were in Saskatoon before, mm-hmm.
1: but how long were you here? Um, I moved back here <laughs> in 97, 97, 1997, yeah, so I actually grew up on this farm, Oh. and then I was in many different places in my life, and my last, I have last chocolate business was in Saskatoon. So
0: you grew up on this dairy farm. In this this very is a family farm.
1: farm. Yeah. <clears throat> There's nobody living on it since mm-hmm. my mom moved to Kindersley which mm-hmm. was in 88 and that's, um you know that's when I opened a shop in Saskatoon. Before that I had a shop on Salt Spring Island. So Did you? Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well all right since we're let's let's keep it on the farm here for a second so where would your house have been when you grew up here um beside this one.
1: Oh, beside it yeah so in the lawn there there's a little dip and that's where the older house was this one was built in about 63 in there 63 64 so the older farmhouse is actually moved to smiley and it's still there and somebody's living in it
0: but... they moved the whole house mm-hmm. well that happens often
1: it does. Wow! Houses moving down the road. It amazes me how
0: houses <laughs> are able to move themselves. <laughs> I know,
1: especially a really an older one, you know. Right. Uh, right. But it, yeah, it worked. And my a German family in Smiley bought it. She just loved it. I wow. remember that. Yeah. So. Wow.
0: So, where'd you play when you grew up here? Everywhere, everywhere, <laughs>
1: everywhere. <laughs> we had wonderful poplars along the laneway. They were good climbing, and right. Um, yeah, there was a swing and. Playhouse and bicycles and, and
0: all these trees are planted, or are they all planted? Yeah, I, I've been I, I've been tipped off to the fact that you can usually tell, um, even if it's been abandoned. If you look at a field and there's usually a clump of trees, even if there's nothing there, it marks where somebody once lived.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Right, which is interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, it wasn't a a fact of all the trees being wiped out, it was a fact of them being
0: here. Right, and they act as a natural windbreaker as well. Mm -hmm. Right, And did this function as a farm, a working farm when you grew up here?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. We had cattle, and some horses, and chickens, and you know, the whole bit, and um, in those days um, farmers could make a living off of that much land. Dad actually had a section and a half, and then in the last couple of years, we sold a half section. But, yeah, it was definitely enough land. And um,
0: When you say farmers could make a living because it's harder now with that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You pretty it,
0: much have to have a huge
1: piece yeah, of land. To, yeah, just the way it's sort of pushed towards huge, a yeah. small farmer, smaller farmers need a... Certain amount in order to keep surviving. I don't know. There's right. all sorts of ins and outs with that. It's a tough life, but it is a lot harder for a small farmer. Right. Um, so I just hope small farmers go to organic, but some of them are doing that.
0: Yeah. Right. So you far- Of course, when you were growing growing up here on the farm, people didn't talk about organic.
1: No, it was organic. It was okay. Well, you know, I know my dad started spraying <laughs> the crops, but our gardens, like we have a big garden there and several gardens in the lower garden, so, I mean, it was, you know, pretty Mm self-sufficient, yeah.
0: So, when did you leave here originally, and where did you go first?
1: Um, When I graduated from grade 12, I went Mm -hmm. to university in Saskatoon. Right. Uh, What
0: did you study there?
1: um, It was the sciences that I went into. Um, During the summer, I was able to get a job in uh, cancer and medical research, Mm. So I learned some tissue culture and um, stuff like that, and then after I graduated, um, a lady that worked in Saskatoon had a, was working in a lab there, I contacted her in Edmonton, and then I got a job in cytogenetics there for about a year. Um,
0: wow, and what? So, tell me about that field.
1: Um, you know, what I did is very, very antiquated now, but uh-huh. what? I was doing basically in a, mostly children that would have a suspected chromosome abnormality. Wow. And so then that's where the tissue culture came in, growing the, the white blood cells and, until they were dividing um, using um, photomicrography to photograph them. And then, you know, manually cutting out <laughs> karyotype wow. on all the chromosomes, laying them out. And so, I mean, that was, now it's so fine-tuned compared to that, but that was...
0: That was cutting edge then? Yeah, kind right.
1: of, yeah. So yeah. you're a
0: scientist?
1: Well... You'll see with the chocolate making, too, that there's a lot of science involved in that. In my mind, I'm
0: already going there. (laughs) I'm already making that parallel. Right? Yeah, so that
1: was just, I mean, I didn't stay in that for that long, but I did that. Some bacteriology, some lab work, some cytogenetics for a year in Australia.
0: So what, I don't want to rush things along, eventually we'll get there. Um, what happened after you finished that field of work?
1: Um, you know, traveling set me on a uh-huh. different path, and right. I kind of realized that being a lab was pretty isolating. right. Um, so I didn't take, and I would have had to probably do more um, schooling to really do more than just the you know the routine lab work that I yeah. was doing. Um, then I decided I needed to do some other things, so just waitressing, stuff like that, so I right. could ski and whatever uh, I to. Where was all this happening? That was in Jasper oh, when right, I came right. back. Right. Um, yeah, then I met the fellow that I ended up marrying, uh-huh. and he was an entrepreneur, so, if you don't want to have two hours of stories, I won't tell you about all the many, many businesses we had. Oh,
0: so you ventured into many things.
1: Yeah. many, yeah. M-
0: Any of them successful before the one where you're at now? You? <laughs> tell me some of the more amusing things that you really thought, oh, this is going to take off. Uh, you know, it was... And you being the the, the stoic... Partner said, "All right, or... here,
1: <laughs> something like that. <laughs> yeah, dragging. You know, we right. had, ended up have two, having two kids, which uh, right they learned very early how to run businesses. <laughs> so, yeah, right. Yeah, they worked hard too. So now,
0: were these inventions sort of?
1: Um, not so much. Like, like uh, you know, I'll run through it quickly. Mm-hmm. You could stop me. <laughs> That's okay. Um, our first. One probably was at Alberta Beach outside of Edmonton, Uh and we bought a miniature golf course, but Uh it had been closed for a while, so we fixed it up and had trampolines and stuff. And so then after that one, we had a business in Edmonton um, delivering um, fast food products to hotels, um, Mm. popcorn and snack foods and stuff like that. then there was a three-year contract with elk Island National Park, That mm-hmm. we had the concessions there. Mm. Um, we did some fairs um, with our popcorn and candy floss and stuff, selling garbage to unsuspecting kids. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Killing kids kindly know, with cotton candy. I know. <laughs> I believe I did that.
1: All right. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, All right. The kind of a funny one was <laughs> sort of in between there, and uh, um, there was my husband and his friend had been to Las Vegas and seen these shoe shine stands that uh-huh. were, um, you know, popular in hotels, and so. Um, <laughs> he
0: started a shoe shine business.
1: <laughs> he built this beautiful shoe shine stand. His partner or his yeah, his buddy was a carpenter. For in one of the hotels in Edmonton, when I had to <laughs> shine shoes, <'cause> oh, <laughs> you were
0: not only making these things happen; you were having to do it. Oh yeah, de- oh, definitely. definitely. And I mean, you're thinking, "A uh, lab doesn't sound too bad, right?" <laughs>
1: that's <about now>. right. Ah, <laughs> uh, so uh, anyway, so did when that for a <laughs> did
0: this glorious chocolate business come? When was the light shone on that idea?
1: Okay, that was on Salt Spring Island. Okay. So um, we had rented a place out there. That was during Elk Island days, and so we had the winters off. And uh, we had rented a a place on Salt Spring Island. Neither of us had lived on the coast before and kind of wanted to. So um, there was an ad in the Edmonton paper that a couple wanted to go south and somebody to look after their house, so... That was our first bit on Salt Spring Island, and then when we finished our contract with, at Elk Island, we decided we'd go out and see if we could make a living there. So it started as a, just a ice cream candy shop. We had lots of imported British sweets and we had chocolates in from Vancouver. Um, and at that time it was sort of the blossoming of the more refined chocolates, more Mm -hmm. of a European chocolate. Mm -hmm. And so luckily we had some expertise from, there was an old gentleman, Mr. Baines, that had been in the chocolate business for a very long time, and he was very helpful. Mm -hmm. And we got in some equipment for tempering the chocolate and sort of lots of trial and error, and with some help um, started making chocolate and gradually having them look well enough that... We could put them in the cabinet and not buy quite as many from Vancouver. So that was kind of the start of it.
0: Plus, you had a fairly isolated market there on Salt Spring.
1: mm -hmm. Um, You know, lots of people in the summer, fairly quiet in the winter. Because at that time, there was like 6,000, I think, residents on the island, Mm -hmm. which I don't know what it is now, at least tripled probably. But, uh, yeah, it was fairly quiet also a stopping place for the yachts that came up from the states through the channel. And they would stop in Salt Spring Island and stock up on liquor and chocolates, whatever (laughs) else they needed. Um, And then we did some selling, you know, at Christmas and occasions, um, busy chocolate occasions in Victoria, too. We did a bit of that. So
0: So that one felt right out of all of the business ventures that, that was that was probably it. the yeah.
1: yeah yeah and we were we sold it in expo year so um, yeah that was a long lasting and right. um, good adventure
0: but you're so you were self-taught as a as a chocolatier pretty much yeah yeah yeah, yeah what was the can you remember the first big i mean a tempering <laughs> chocolate even I know is a <laughs> fine science. Did you have many disasters in that trial and error period? Yeah.
1: Yeah. When yeah, you, so there are probably so many that I don't remember. Right. The,
0: and of course you had to do dreaded taste tests. That was the worst. Oh for the sure. worst it must have been. That's <laughs> dreadful. Your kids must have were your kids still living with you at the time? Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. They were young at that time. They, they must have think. been thrilled at that business venture. Um, <laughs> well, it's,
0: it doesn't generate um, <laughs> more excitement than the shoe shine. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, yeah.
1: that's true, right. and selling hamburgers at right. Elk Island, so, right. yeah, and they enjoyed the school on Salt Spring Island, so, mm-hmm. yeah, they but they had to work as well, so if you would ask them if they enjoyed that time, they would probably think about the time they had to work, oh, maybe. Oh, right, right. <laughs> um, right. But... You know, maybe as they get older, they'll think of more of the good things. And, you know, life is not a plan you make There's usually. Not. Nope. So uh, we we're gonna come back here for a visit mm-hmm. after we had sold the farm or the sold our chocolate business, mm-hmm. and my dad suddenly died. Mm. That was sort of the changing factor there. So um, you know, we spent a year here. Opened the business in Saskatoon, so the business in Saskatoon was mine, and I had it for nine years. During the last couple of years that I had the shop, I'm thinking, you know, how can I make an income? What can I do? Uh, my mom in Kindersley, I'd come and visit her. We were still, you know, growing a garden here. My cousin and her husband were trying to keep up the yard when nobody was here. And uh, it's such a beautiful farm. Mm -hmm. Somebody should live here, but I need an income. Mm. So sort of during those two years, I thought, you know, maybe I can make chocolate there and be a wholesaler. So I had the health inspector come out and told him what I had in mind. And he said, "Yeah, these are a few changes you have to make. And call me when you're ready. I'll give you your inspection. So I came I came back here. Then eventually I had more outlets for my chocolate once I was doing wholesale. So.
0: Now it's interesting because in many ways you did go back to a lab environment, yes. a solitary lab environment.
1: <laughs> I know. Right. The big thing was that I could regulate my own time a right. lot better. Right. Busy seasons for sure, you know, mm-hmm. pretty committed to doing stuff every day, but You know, if I knew my kids were coming home, then I could make ahead and and have a week with them or whatever. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that certainly was liberated a lot of my time. So, yeah, that's right. It's kind of a lab, but... Yeah,
0: (laughs) but it probably is a testament to the fact that you enjoy sort of a a solitary work environment versus, um, you know, a big office kind of...
1: Yeah, yeah, and in Saskatoon, I had wonderful employees, uh-huh. so um, that was easier too. than
0: are you on your own here, or do you have employees?
1: Um, I, I make, I do all the making and everything. Yeah. But when in a busy season like before Christmas, it gets very busy. Then I have friends in Kindersley that will come and help me mm-hmm. you know, unload the trees and package and stuff like that. So. You know, so basically on my own, but call in help when I need it.
0: (laughs) Can we visit the lab? We can do that. Great. (laughs) So now we've moved inside to where the magic happens. So I'm... I'm in the lower part of Gladys's house, and this is ground zero for Glad's chocolates. So, in a in a season, how many chocolates would you estimate that you sell? Hey, it's Kevin. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Just a quick reminder that the Sascapes podcast is available for free on your favorite podcast app, or you can stream it from your browser. Check out the show notes for the link on the sascapes homepage, you'll notice something new under the logo called sascapes plus you can't miss it there's a big button saying support with a heart icon next to it i'd love it if you could click on that button and help keep this podcast series going
1: Um, you know, my estimation comes from this little box here. So all the little cups that the chocolates go in, and I usually use one case of that in here, which has 25,000 little cups. Wow. So, and how
0: many of those boxes are, are going out, say, in a month?
1: You know, some, some accounts just get the chocolate in bulk. Right. And then other ones I'm packaged up in gift boxes. So, again, monthly it's hard to say because the fall season is the busiest when people get back to their regular jobs in September, and then it sort of builds up momentum until Christmas. So that's the busiest season. And, you know, all of Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, all those. Um, And then I get orders for weddings and conferences. Right. And um, this is
0: just not local. How far are your chocolates being shipped?
1: Well, Right now, it's just um, Kindersley and Saskatoon. I mm-hmm. have outlets. Um, for quite a while, I was supplying a place in Regina, and actually, everybody that I, pretty much that I supply to have contacted me and asked for my chocolate. So I really okay. have not done any marketing since I word came. of mouth, word of mouth, and and eating of mouth. Right.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, well, that that brings. To mind this question when you're working around chocolate, do you eventually just get sick of the the smell the just everything about chocolate or or, or have you seen the movie Chocolat?
1: Oh yes, yes That's a good one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you know how you feel at the end of that movie or how I've felt i mean you 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 see chocolate in a very sensual very very uh meaningful way. do you have a separation? <laughs> From chocolate, after a while.
1: Oh yeah, but while I'm making it, definitely I'm tasting and right. eating, and it's because it's you know not a not like you're baking and you've got that sweet sugar smell. Yeah, like, I don't smell chocolate anymore. Right, right, um, and um, yeah, it's not. I don't use extra sugar in my chocolate, mm-hmm. so I mean there is sugar in the chocolates that I buy from, like the bulk chocolate. But I don't, I'm not adding any extra except for the caramels I cook those. So right. it's not um, overwhelming as far as feeling sick of it. But I, when I'm finished with it, I'm not interested in eating it Right, right. For sure. Right. Yeah.
0: So it comes first as bulk chocolate. Yeah. And then when does the tempering process happen? All right, so.
1: so I'm going to show you. This, this is, is, that's how I get the chocolate in 50 okay. pound cases. All right. So there's five 10-pound ten ta- ten blocks of chocolate that are ready to eat.
0: Okay. So that's, that's a semi-sweet chocolate?
1: I use a 70%, a 52%. Mm-hmm. Those are the dark ones. I do a milk chocolate and a white chocolate.
0: So 70% is the darkest you go?
1: Yeah. That's, you know, it's sort of middle of the road when you're supplying outlets, what people's taste is.
0: Is white chocolate really chocolate? <laughs> there we go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'll it's, tell you it's
0: cocoa there is a cocoa butter definitely right
1: yeah so as long as long as there's cocoa butter and I think you know the terminology is sort of dictated by food regulations and stuff and can we call it chocolate or not but definitely the chocolate the white chocolate I use is cocoa butter mm-hmm. a lot of the wafers that people use for home home chocolate making, Yeah, they have vegetable oil instead of the cocoa butter. Right. And if you look at them, they're a lot whiter. Yeah. So my chocolate would be... And so the white chocolate also has to be tempered. I was going to say, it has butter. to be tempered as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's minus the cocoa. So if people get headaches from the cocoa, they can right. make white chocolate.
0: So no caffeine in white chocolate. No caffeine. Right. Yeah. And so the chocolate gets tempered on this stone slab here.
1: I actually temper it in here. Oh, you do? Yeah. So some people would put it out on the stone slab. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I have a, this is on and off here. So these are just food warmers, actually. And right. They
0: it. look like the thing you see in a buffet. Yeah. And you lift it up and there'd be bacon and pancakes inside. <laughs>
1: But voila, voila. chocolate. Instead, we have <laughs> chocolate, which is
0: just now in in liquid form.
1: Yeah. So those the chocolate I showed you from the cases, then I melted in here, mm-hmm. and I have a thermometer here, and.
0: That keeps it at a steady temperature?
1: Well, for tempering it, like if I was going to use this tomorrow, I would have more chocolate in here because that's getting very low. Basically, I mm-hmm. left it on so you could see it. <laughs> All right. Oh, thank, you. thank <laughs> um, you. So if I was making some milk chocolate tomorrow, I, I would have more chocolate in here. I would have it. It would be melted. I have the temperature turned up so it's about 120 on here, and I'd be stirring it every so often all the cocoa butter crystals are going to melt out. So there's alpha, beta, gamma, whole series of cocoa butter crystals. There's only one that's stable.
0: Here comes the scientist again.
1: Here's the scientist. So then at nighttime, I will turn it off. Also the day before, I'm making the centers that I want to dip in Mm -hmm. the milk chocolate. So it drops down to, um, you know, about 80. Well, I keep switching back and forth here because I had to change my thermometer From centigrade about 85 so we're on Fahrenheit right now with this thermometer and then for milk chocolate I would bring it up to a certain temperature for the dark chocolate and not quite the same temperature a little bit warmer for the dark chocolate
0: right and there's a danger point in both temperatures where the chocolate can separate is there is that what it's called when, when okay
1: you gotta wait Okay.
0: All right, I'm <laughs> jumping the gun. I'm jumping the gun only because as I'm looking at it, I think, oh, that's what mine didn't look like. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, for sure you don't want any water in chocolate. Right. Chocolate doesn't right, like Right, which
0: is why when you put it on a double boiler, you've got to make sure water doesn't splash in the chocolate. Yeah,
1: and you right. don't want to get it too hot. Right. Because it'll be a lost cause if you get it too hot. Uh-huh, I've
0: experienced that.
1: <laughs> <lost cause. laughs> okay. So, then, when you get it at the right temperature, that um, the stable cocoa butter crystal will form and the unstable ones melt out. Okay. Um, And then, I take a piece from here. So, off the the dark block. So, this is already tempered. So, again, we're going to the genetic um, thing. Okay. (laughs) I'll throw a block of this in the vat. And it speeds up the formation of the stable cocoa butter crystal. Gotcha. And, you know, I probably would eventually get there, but this speeds up the process. And then you keep sort of testing a little blob, put it in the fridge, dip a center or two, let it sit on the tray.
0: And what are you testing for?
1: You want the chocolate to be shiny. Right. And no streaks. Right. Right. So if you've got streaks, you've still got unstable cocoa butter crystals in there. And, you know, if you just do a little blob of chocolate when it sets up and then you also break it, if it has a nice snap, it's Mm -hmm. ready. So the texture is not going to be the same if you don't have all stable cocoa butter crystals. And then if you do dip a bunch of centers, the oxygen, the air will get in and the centers will dry out a lot quicker. Right. So you have to do this process properly here, in order for the chocolates to last, and then the centers are totally sealed, and they have a nice shiny look to them. Right. But um, if your outlet doesn't um, regulate the temperature of their shop, then
0: you know. oh, because it will start to break down. Yep. Right.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's
0: gray. why old chocolate look you can tell because it it's gray. Completely
1: dusty. Yeah, Yeah. dusty.
0: (laughs) Dusty, yeah. Or
1: moisture does that too. Mm -hmm. So if I had a lot of moisture in my fridge um, on these rainy days, right. and if I took some chocolate out of the fridge box or something and took the lid off right away, it would sweat. And then the moisture again would give it that ugly look. So it might not even be old. It might just have you know two moisture room two warmer room right too it's very sensitive it is
0: so uh, needless to say max doesn't get to ever come near anything.
1: Anyway. <laughs> i would have a dead dog exactly. eats everything he exactly. exactly. sees but, mm. right you know, not, you know, i have a bunch of molds here but right. a lot of the molds i used were when i had the shop in saskatoon so uh-huh. they're more impulse items and um, but I still use these, as you They're can well see. They're well-loved molds. <laughs> yeah, these ones I use all the time. So this is the mice and hedgehogs here.
0: Oh, right. So you turn your molds out on the slab. Is that when the slab comes into, into it after the after the chocolate is set?
1: Yeah. When I'm doing the molded things like for this, so yeah. it's, you know I pour the chocolate for a mouse out when the chocolate is ready, and then you know I use my The hair dryer here just to go over the mold and if there's any bits of chocolate or anything right um so then when i do the the layer of chocolate and i'll empty it out in there Mm -hmm. and then but also use this to shake it down and to scrape off edges and stuff so mostly it's used for that when i am doing molding not when i'm dipping individual Mm -hmm. chocolates and you know at christmas valentine's day i'll do some Other molds, too, you know, the chocolate boxes. So then this is good for scraping the mold and scraping it off the marble slab as well.
0: Oh, here are some that are set in molds here.
1: Yeah, and these are just the solid chocolate here, but you
0: you need it. And then out they come the little elephants and ducks and cats and monkeys. So so this is the wildlife edition, (laughs) the National Geographic edition. (laughs) Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, so when chocolate sets up, it pulls away. It shrinks a little bit. Uh-huh. And it pulls away from the mold. And uh, and, and then
0: I that think. that looks... That's the shine that you want?
1: Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So, these are...
0: All right, then here my... we have the trays.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And these are all standard chocolates that you would make in the boxes. These aren't custom orders. These are... Right. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I was really low on chocolate i sort of abandoned it for getting ready for barn dance and then i was just getting my variety up again so i'll have chocolates when people order so there's a couple of places in kindersley that carry them Mm -hmm. Uh, so i've got these are saskatoon berry and these i haven't got their decoration on some of them i sprinkle at the same time and others i decorate afterwards so Mm -hmm. these are a it's actually a lingonberry. They oh, right. usually call them the wild cranberry from mm-hmm. the north. And then the maraschino cherries, at cappuccino. And this is the wild blueberry from the north. And the raspberry I have to decorate. That one's amaretto. Mm. Oh, a little bit of pecan bark there. At the end of it there, more amaretto. Mm.
0: It's been how many years really doing this? You know,
1: I... Think it's about thirty. Yeah, well, so, that's a long time. Yeah,
0: You've, one can't say you just didn't try. <laughs> <laughs> You're you, right. <laughs> you definitely did it. And the creative element must just be very gratifying.
1: Yeah, you know that's kind of a fun part too. That yeah. so just creating different centers, getting the right so they're creamy, but they you can still roll them and dip them without them falling apart. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's great sense
0: of satisfaction, I would imagine, as you see these boxes go out the door.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's certainly lots of good things about it. And it's a very compact business, as you see. Yeah. You know, you can do it in a small space and produce a lot of you know, when I'm busy I can fill this tray, these trays up in a couple of days. And that's when I call in my helpers. How many hours
0: on a on a day when you're busy, how many hours are you putting in down here?
1: You know, it's probably not a hugely long day, mm-hmm. maybe eight or nine hours mm-hmm. wow. a day. So, you know, I'd be dipping them during the day, getting everything ready in the morning, rolling the centers, dipping them, maybe right. finished by three or four in the afternoon. And
0: you've always got music playing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I can see
0: that. I saw the, that
1: helps a lot. Or, I bet.
0: Well, what a very gratifying um, ambition. I would, you know, it's, it's, it's unique you know it's uh,
1: yeah i think gratifying is a good word because i mean you get tired making them sometimes but then when somebody gives them a, a gift or yeah then they, people have enjoyed them or all that you know it's the the enjoyment that people get uh, you can out sit of back it, at so. night
0: going somebody's biting into one of my chocolates and feeling pretty euphoric
1: yeah hey, I right right have there. to think about that when I, <laughs> <laughs> when I'm getting fed up on just like, well, there's yeah, I carry um, that thought <laughs> all
0: the research on especially dark chocolate and and all the antioxidants and uh mm-hmm. and there's definitely uh there's a serotonin kick that you get from chocolate, oh yeah, no doubt about it, yeah, just finding that fine line between serotonin kick and sugar crash <laughs> that you have to be careful about.
1: caffeine
0: that's buzz. right in the ca- <laughs> yeah, yeah, although yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure, you know. It's, it's not
0: a high, high volume of caffeine, is
1: it? No. No, right. it's not actually. Right. No. Not eating moderately, it's not Right, right, <laughs> right.
0: And do you have a demand for sugar free chocolate?
1: Mhm. And I have in the past made it, right. but um when I first started using the sugar free and it's a Belgian chocolate mm-hmm. and it tastes a lot better mm-hmm. than a lot of the sugar free. Yeah. And at that time, it was hard to convince people that it was actually sugar-free because it tasted yes, good. It so sweet. What was, uh, was it? <laughs> it was multi-talk, multi-talk, multi-talk. Right. um right. So now there's more of a demand for it, but it's, um, I find even though it's tempered properly, it doesn't stay fresh quite as mm-hmm. long. So I was just making, you know, some of the solid chocolate things for a while, and, uh, and of course it requires its own vat of chocolate so that's right. another thing of does the temper it temper slightly different as well yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah sugar definitely has a unique quality mm-hmm. great sugar that that can't be really replicated yeah in the artificial
1: yeah the maltitol makes it when it's in the vat it almost looks kind of pudding like mm. you know, well it's a sugar
0: alcohol um, derivative right, who's this picture here
1: well that's my brother in the oh. old days right I mean, Yeah, so he's a biologist, and I think that's in Ontario where he spent a lot of his working life. So
0: So science in your family.
1: Science in my family. I have another brother that's more in the genetic part of it in Saskatoon.
0: But there's more than science, and there's more than chocolate. There's also something out back in a big red barn.
1: Which we shall go
0: and check out. Let's check out (laughs) that now. Okay, we've moved on to the big red barn that sits on Gladys's property. Gladys, tell me the story behind this barn.
1: Well, we think that it was probably built in sometime in the 1920s. My dad and mom bought the farm um, from Graysley's, I believe, in about 1944 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course my dad used it as a barn with the, as a usual barn would be used, but then in about, you know, when dad died in 1987, and after that the foundation was starting to crumble, but my mom was still living here on the farm. Well, actually she had moved into Kindersley, but she was still urging someone to, fix the barn up, because she said it's so much part of the yard, we need it to be fixed up. So my cousin's husband finally orchestrated a bunch of contractors to do it. So they lifted this whole barn up off its foundation, redid the bottom part and the foundation, and lowered it back down again. And as the different workers were here doing what they needed to do, and they were saying, this is turning out so nice, you better have a barn dance. So um, so uh, this part here, there's a new floor put on. That's mm-hmm. the only difference. That's still the same cathedral ceiling and everything. Um, and, you know, things have changed a bit. I mean, the hay was on this side, and Dad had used this side for chop for the critters. And it's a bank barn, so it's on the side of a hill. Right. And uh, so when people walk in this part, they think it's the bottom of the barn, but we just, like, there's just a few steps here, but this right. is actually the loft. And then we can. Oh. Mm-hmm. So what's below? You have to come down and see. Oh, how exciting.
0: <laughs> you slowly reveal these little gems. <laughs> I love it. So when, is it called a barn raising? When they, do they have barn raising parties?
1: Uh, barn raising, yeah, in the olden days when, yeah. and the you know the workers that were, um, you know, working on this one to get it back in shape, they were just astounded at you know how they built this in the olden days without all the fancy equipment they have now. So,
0: so tell me about these dances that you have. They happen yearly.
1: Yeah, we've been having one. In June every year, mm-hmm. we just had number 10, mm. and it's basically a community gathering, so it's kind of word of mouth, non-alcoholic. Um, there used to be always, like, just in this community, at driver, which is a little ways away, there was school, and they'd have June picnics and community gatherings, and then in the last years, nothing was happening, and the school was, of course, kind of abandoned, and... Um, birds getting into it. So these pews came from there because the school was then used as a church. And so we moved the pews here and continue to have the community gathering in June. So some of the same people, but, you know, community extends because people have friends and family that are all over the place now. So basically that's what it is. And, And do you have
0: a band come in?
1: Yes, live band.
0: Where does the band come from?
1: Um, we, The Right Touch, um, they have members from Eston and Etonia and Flaxcombe, mm-hmm. And we've had a live band also from Doddsland Plenty area. So there's lots of musicians around here. But The Right Touch, uh, Brian Swan, grew up not so far from here. Oh. And he played music since his high school days. So that was our first contact. But if they're not available, there's... Definitely quite a few musical people in the area.
0: And how many people do you have show up?
1: Anywhere between 70 and 100.
0: I bet it's packed. I mean, yes. <laughs> and That's depends on so the year crazy. and the
1: weather. And But it's all, you know, little kids and grandmas are all here. Eleanor Smith comes up. Oh, right. <laughs> yes, you mentioned
0: that. <laughs> I bet you have people saying, have
1: more. Yes. Have more than just <laughs> one a year. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And it would be nice, but it's it's a lot of work getting sure. ready. And it's hard to find the right time of year. like. June is really busy, but then people disappear in July and August on their holidays, and then harvest comes along. So, it's, But I think whenever we had it, there'd be enough people to come and enjoy. Right.
0: So. <laughs> this little adorable airplane that I'm standing beside here is um, a, something you used to ride on when you were a kid.
1: Yeah, I can remember sitting in it. I must have been about two or three, I'm not sure. And because... You know, it's really hard to pedal a little thing like that on mm-hmm. the dirt, but I can remember imagining that I was flying all over the place. And, That's... and then my brother took it and he painted it up again, so it was getting a bit rusty because it left outside. But, yeah, it's a neat little It's thing. so great. And lo and behold, my son is a pilot, so who knew? Of course, <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> you always wish your son chose a profession that was a little more grounded. <laughs> really...
1: He's probably more grounded than anybody because he has a better perspective of seeing how right. small and unimportant we are up there. <laughs> <Right>.
0: <laughs> that's, that's a fascinating philosophy. There's another another discussion in and of itself. Yeah. <laughs> the philosophy of flying, mm-hmm. <laughs> the insignificant we. yes. <laughs> well, wow, that's wonderful. I'm going to come back and grab a photo of that. So let's see what this okay. basement has, has in store. Wow.
1: Okay, so those are is... the stalls for the cattle that just
0: all kind right. of got
1: dumped out there.
0: You're right. It's quite deceiving. You would think that you were all on one level in
1: you Yeah. There. So this is where we eat. Aha. So we do burgers, and people bring potluck, as in the olden days and uh, it's a wonderful gathering. How
0: fun I'll have to come back in June mm-hmm. I have to wait over a month well, to wait a year over now. a year.
1: <laughs> How could I do that <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah
0: that's fantastic, and it'll be you just said you're tenth, so for ten year. years you've been doing this
1: Unbelievable. yeah my this is one my mom had her. 90th birthday, and she said, No, yeah. I don't want any party. And then finally, she said, Well, maybe we could have something in the barn. So that was still June. Her birthday wasn't in June, but she was out to enjoy the barn there. Look at that photo of the barn at
0: nighttime.
1: Yeah. And then that particular year, my family from Larange entertained.
0: How great! You're quite the lady. <laughs> I have to say, you've had a very interesting life. Yes, I, I have. And you're, and we walk by a, a drum set, and I said, who plays the drums? And you say, I do. <laughs> with, and what's this, percussion group?
1: Um, you know, those particular drums I just fool around on with my own, but uh, in Kindersley, Helen Barkley is a music teacher and a percussionist, and so once a week during the winter season, we get together and we, you know, work on a piece. It usually takes us all year to perform at the music festival. And
0: <laughs> oh, you do it at the music festival? <laughs>
1: well, we're too old to get judged, but it's interesting. The adjudicator, they always. And
0: you all drums?
1: Um, it depends on the year. This year we did a Japanese drumming piece. So we all had drums. Sometimes we do more. Um, like marimba, xylophone, vibraphone, Mm -hmm. steel drum. She's got it all. Wow. Yeah.
0: The adjudicators love it.
1: They're so amazed at a little town, and it's all due to this amazing lady, Helen Barkley, who grew up just up the road here from me.
0: I'm going into my 13th year of adjudicating. Really? Mm -hmm. You are quite the lady, I have to say. You're fascinating. Well, thank you, Kevin. You've had, no, you've had your hand in so many wonderful projects, from from biology and scientist, being a scientist, to the science of chocolate, to the science of barn dances.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you well. are.
0: You have. You live a very well-rounded life.
1: Well, thank you. I shall complete my day with much more enthusiasm. <laughs> Good.
0: I know to you, it's your life, and so you take it for granted. But for those of us who kind of helicopter in on your little bits of lives here in the farmlands, it's fascinating to us, to me.
1: And that's. it's always fun to have somebody that doesn't have this life and point out to you all the Things that, like you say, you take for granted. Right.
0: Yeah. Right. You're very, yeah. very lucky. And uh, Max is lucky to have you, wherever <laughs> Max is.
1: He's hiding under a bush. The sun's too hot, I think. Right.
0: Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for taking the time to come.
0: Thanks for listening. The Sascapes podcast is created by Kevin Power as part of the Culture Days Animateur program operated by Sas Culture. Funding to the cultural sector is provided through the Saskatchewan Lotteries Trust Fund for Sports, Culture, and Recreation. If you want to hear more of these podcasts, or to see the great work being done by other Sas Culture animateurs, please visit www.iheartculture.ca. Special thanks to Paved Arts in Saskatoon for their technical support. SaskApe's podcasts are also available through the iTunes Store. Music for Sascapes is provided by Saskatchewan-born singer-songwriter Jeffrey Straker. There is no end to the stories to be told. So, until next time...